Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Joan Rosenberg. And Dr. Joan Rosenberg, a cutting-edge psychologist known as an innovative thinker, acclaimed speaker and trainer, is a two-time TEDx speaker and member of the Association of Transformational Leaders. She's been recognized for her thought leadership and influence in personal development and has been featured in the documentaries I Am, The Miracle Mindset, Pursuing Happiness, and The Hidden Epidemic. Dr. Rosenberg has appeared on CNN's American Morning, the OWN Network, and PBS, as well as appearances and radio interviews in all of the major metropolitan markets. A California-licensed psychologist, Dr. Rosenberg speaks on how to build confidence, emotional strength, resilience, achieving emotional, conversational, and relationship mastery, integrating neuroscience and psychotherapy and suicide prevention. An Air Force veteran, she is a professor of graduate psychology at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles, California. Her book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, is out. And you're about to meet my friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who's going to be talking about ways we can lead a confident, resilient, and authentic life you love. And that's so important, especially after an experience with betrayal. How do you regain that confidence and move through those feelings so you can heal? There's actually a formula, the Rosenberg Reset, and you're going to learn exactly what that is. Here's Dr. Joan. Okay, I am just so excited for my guest today because we have Dr. Joan Rosenberg, and you're going to hear how wonderful she is and all the incredible things that she's up to, but she has such a special place in my heart for another reason. You know I talk about this study and how it led to this just entirely new business and life and all of these wonderful things. Well, Dr. Joan was one of my committee members, and To be completely honest, she was brutal (laughs) in the best kind of way, because each time I went back to do more, we, I I learned so much more and it actually created something that by the time we were done, I'm truly proud of. So I'm, I'm grateful. It wasn't easy, but I am totally grateful and welcome Dr. Joan. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Debbie. (laughs) That's so funny or not. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't funny at the time, but the truth is when every revision, uh, it truly uncovered something so incredible and so exciting. And I am, I am glad that we didn't go with that first revision, although it would have been easy. You know, I have this saying, easy now, hard later, hard now, easy later, take your pick. It's going to be one of those two. That's true. That's very true. No matter what the situation is. And this was a case of hard now, (laughs) I guess easy later. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, for the study. I'm grateful for you and your participation in it. So you, you have just the most wonderful book that I listen to. I do a lot of Audible and I listen to it. And of course, I want to I want to talk about that. But let's talk about confidence because everybody listening has been affected. Their confidence mm-hmm. has been affected. That is just something so common to betrayal. Whether it's the betrayal of a family member, partner, friend, coworker, our confidence is affected. So Let's go start with confidence, and and how would you help someone whose confidence is affected by a betrayal you know, that's experience? A, that's actually a great start, um, and uh, you're right. It, confidence does take a hit, but I uh, but I have to f- kind of form my thinking around that a little bit um, because we're 
by <clears throat> by and large, we're talking about how one builds confidence. We're not. Uh, I haven't really talked about it when when you've got confidence and then it's been shaken. So, but uh, and and kind of upset where your balance has been so upset. But the the way I think about confidence now is that confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. So if it, so it's not it, 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 and other people look at it in other ways but that's that's really my definition for it at this point. Or it's an it's an embodied sense if you will of can doativeness. Mhm. And uh, and I found in my experience it seems and from the people that I work with when your confidence does take a hit and when these these situations like betrayal uh happen for us eventually, but in the beginning right. we feel they happen to us. It, it is an opportunity to rebuild confidence and, and it is those things that do make us stronger. Do you find that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and when one is able to hold the point of view that every life experience is a learning opportunity and, and that even the hardest things or the, what feels the most damaging is something to learn from, then you can move through it, mm-hmm. and and that again, and holding that kind of an attitude makes a huge difference from my point of view in terms of resilience. That those those kinds of attitudes help you bounce back. Mm-hmm. So the so when the con, you know, I think part of what you're you're addressing with the betrayal too, and and with when that confidence has been shaken, is that is that there was a there may have been a trust in oneself. So, and a trust that one could face the emotional outcome of whatever one, you know, one has to deal with. But, <clears throat> but in a situation where betrayals occurred, then there's a loss of trust in one's own perception of reality. It's like, I was living this reality and I could face everything at this level of reality. It's like, what? There's a, a different level of reality that's actually been taking place and I missed it, right? So that, so that I think that that's part, also a piece that shakes it up. And then and there's, it's like a regrounding. It's like, well, then what is reality? And if that's not reality, then how can I trust me and trust my own ability to face these things? Absolutely. So I, I think that that's some of what takes place when, when betrayals occur and why it seems to shake up the confidence. And trust is a huge word when it comes to betrayal. And that was one thing that we saw in the study. We don't trust our betrayer. We certainly don't trust ourselves. And that's a scary place to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting to me around uh, trust, I mean, I, I do think I talk about this in the book, is that, is that I think of trust many times uh, and I, and I, as not a between experience. And, and I know we talk about not trusting people. So, so, it, so let me talk about it from both angles, from the trust for, that relates to oneself and then this idea of trust between. And, and I have to find a better word for the between connection. But, but if you think about how trust gets used, well, I don't trust that person anymore. And you look up the word trust, belief is actually in the dictionary. So when you're saying, I don't trust that person, or I do trust that person, what you're saying is either I, I do believe or I don't believe that person. Right. And if we change that language and actually stop using the word trust because there's vague qualities to it, 
and we start using the word believe, it actually makes more sense. And it really does. That's so interesting because it's it's really true. If and, and that's a hard thing to say to somebody. I don't believe you. Right. Yeah. But it but it's often the truth, the underlying truth of what's being spoken. When when you go, well, I don't trust you, and then mm-hmm. it was, well, how come you don't trust me? But if the if they said, well, I don't believe you, then it would be a whole different experience. You're actually not believable to me. Right. And that does, right? you know, it resonates at a very different level. That feels very different. Yes. Yes. So, so let, that's, well, go ahead. That's the trust between, I can go to the trust internally. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So the, so the trust between, I think we should change the language and we should change it to believe. I either don't believe you or I do believe you. Mm-hmm. For the, the tr- then if I look at the trust from an internal standpoint, then it's, I, I I trust me, meaning I trust my ability to experience and move through the eight unpleasant feelings that I talk about in the book. And can you, let, let's just talk about them. Can you talk about the eight unpleasant sure, feelings? Sure. The whole book is centered around one's ability to, to, to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. And then it's how those get applied to solving a whole bunch of common psychological challenges, like worrying about what other people think of you or anxiety or difficulty speaking up. But <clears throat> the eight unpleasant feelings are sadness, or I should say feeling states, sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And just in those term, those eight words, I picture someone who's been betrayed and they're shaking their head like, yep, that's how I feel. Correct. Yes. And, and what do they, all, yeah, yeah, all of them. So what do they, what do they do? What's, how do you move through or, or is it important to identify what, what feelings they're feeling at the time? And then what do they do with them? What would be like a first step? The first step for me, I, it comes out in a formula that a colleague called the Rosenberg reset. And, and so I, I just, uh, borrowed the term. <laughs> and, and so the reset is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. So, so I'll, let me let me do a, as quick a walkthrough on that as I can. The one choice is awareness. So it's being in t- aware of and in touch with as much of your moment-to-moment experience as possible. So you, you, that means you don't want to be doing things like engaging in social media or shopping or um, food or whatever it is that you might use or subs- substances to, to have you check out and move away from what's really going on. So the one choice, awareness. be present. The second is the eight feelings, which I just named. And why these eight feelings? Because they're the most common everyday in the moment reactions to everyday life experiences. And, and they're, um, they're, they're the, those reactions in particular occur when we don't get what we need or what we want. Mm -hmm. Everyday stuff, right? So I'm not talking about things that are traumatic or tragic. And a betrayal could be, could be potentially that, mm-hmm. but uh, oftentimes they're profoundly um, disappointing and profoundly sad experiences uh, or profoundly angering experiences, but not, not necessarily tragic or traumatic. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be, but go ahead. And I remember in the book, there were so many uh, scenarios that you gave from patients and, and students where I thought you were going to label it as one emotion and it actually wasn't. 
And okay, like such as? Well, like something was, let's say it looked like anger, but it was really vulnerability. Mm, mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. like that. And I just found it so interesting because I guess we, we look at the outward emotion or the, or the emotion we first express, right. but right. it's it's sort of like what's behind that is the, right. is the right. real emotion. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, anxiety would be an example of that. <clears throat> um, because most people use the, or fear, people use the word fear, which I think is uh, both fear and anxiety in my world are both misused and overused. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear is danger in the moment or life threat in the moment right now. Most of us, when we use the word fear, are not experiencing that. There's no lion or tiger chasing us, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say stop using that word because you actually activate the bodily the correlate of that. So <clears throat> the next most obvious would be anxiety. But anxiety is really vague. If I were to look, look at people, and, and, and anxiety makes sense in this context, but it's dif- the diffuse apprehension of the future, kind of anticipating a negative event. And I would say, and then a negative outcome, and then, a ne- and then the unpleasant feelings that follow. But, um, but anxiety is way too vague. I, if I asked 15 people what it meant, I'd get probably 15 different answers. Mm-hmm. So then I started asking people what's underneath that. And, and invariably, I came up with one or more of the eight feelings. And, and so if you, think about, if you think about anxiety, then the next most obvious is vulnerability, mm-hmm. which, which means I could be hurt. There's this quality that we're feeling or sensing that I could be hurt. And I think that that's a much more accurate term. Right. And vulnerability is just so terrifying for so many people. Like, how, how does somebody identify that it is vulnerability that's at the root of whatever is getting them? And what do they do about it? Is uh, there well, something you, know you can that's, move through? Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, yes. And that's the, that's the other part of the 90 seconds too. I'm sorry, we got, we, I got a little wandering there. The, um, yes, there is a way to move through it. And here, here is the absolute key to vulnerability. You notice, you notice vulnerability. When you describe yourself as feeling anxious mm-hmm. and the, or, or fearful, the first thing I would say, fearful, go to anxiety. Anxiety, your next step is, am I feeling vulnerable? Do I have the sense or the quality that I could be hurt in this moment? Then you're feeling vulnerable or, or that I'm afraid I, I might be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You're probably going at those points because vulnerability and embarrassment tend to go together. Um, then that's probably what's going on. But here is the key to vulnerability. If you know that you can experience and move through the other seven feelings that I named, mm-hmm. then you can handle vulnerability. Because, because the outcome of vulnerability when things don't work out is being, is being put in a position to have to deal with one or more of those, eight unple- those other seven uh, feeling. So does that mean vulnerability is sort of the biggest of the emotions or the, it's the a, most challenging? I wouldn't say it's the biggest. I would say it's the most unique mm-hmm. it's because, because it intersects with the other seven right. in, in just unique ways. So and go I, ahead. I can see that because I'll tell you, there are every, I've experienced every emotion and I'm sure everybody listening has that you mentioned, but there's something about vulnerability that is just terrifying but at the other on the other side of that there's there's it seems like there's freedom there's pride there's you have a sense of courage i mean i'll never forget the first time i started sharing about my betrayal right. and it was absolutely terrifying because of the thought of being vulnerable 
Being what? Embarrassed. Being embarrassed. And I guess that's it. It was embarrassed. At first it was embarrassed, but just exposing myself like that and being that like, okay, this is, this is what I have to share. Right. And it was terrifying. Yeah. But, but what, what, did anything bad really happen? No, no, of course not. Not No. What ended up happening is that people saw you more, more accessible and probably wanted to get closer to you. And then they wanted to share their stories of how they'd been betrayed. Mm-hmm. So what it does when we're vulnerable and we're genuine in those ways and we allow ourselves to, to lean into and choose into vulnerability, then, then what ends up happening is that we, we, not only do we get more connected to ourselves, not only do we feel more liberated, not only do we feel more emotionally strong, we establish deeper connections with others as well. So it's such a it's such a wonderful outcome, but then the situations come up where we're you know we're considering it and it's just the fear seems too great. What do well, we do in that I, scenario? And I will and I will tell you, don't use the word fear. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a I get really dialed into language. Uh-huh. So it, it's I would take the word fear away from you. Okay. It's just like I'm just feeling vulnerable. I recognize I could get hurt if I do X. And and I'll come back to what I said a moment ago. You, what you have to do is you have to remind yourself if that you have the capacity to experience and move through those other seven feelings, then you've got this. Taking a risk. We don't get afraid of taking the risk mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. What we get afraid of is the emotional outcome of taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Right. But if we know we can handle the emotional outcome before we even go for it, mm-hmm. then then go, go pursue, go do whatever it is that you want to do. And how do we know we can handle the emotional outcome? Let's say we haven't uh, done or said or ventured into that. It's that unknown space. Okay, so so the uh, the first thing I would say is if you're an adult, then you've probably experienced a whole variety of disappointments and things that made you sad and things that made you angry or embarrassed you or frustrated you. And, and if you're still living and breathing and listening <laughs> to this right now, then you already know how to do it. So we've already mastered right? it at some, uh, at at some, some time. level, at some level. But if you want to do it in a more conscious way, then let me give you the rest of the, that formula, mm-hmm. which is the 90 seconds piece. So we've got the, you're choosing into awareness You've got the eight feelings you know that, that, that are at the heart of so much of what we do. And then, and then the last part of it is this idea of 90 seconds. So I wrestled, Deb, Debbie, for, with understanding what it was that uh, made it so difficult for most of us to tolerate or, or move through those, those uh, unpleasant feelings generally. Mm-hmm. And, and neuroscience findings uh, opened up in the late 90s and, uh, and well into the 2000s and up to now. And what the neuroscientists tend to talk about is that most of us come to know what we're feeling emotionally by how, by, through bodily sensation mm-hmm. or by how we feel it in our body first. Mm-hmm. So think embarrassment, the, the heat mm-hmm. and the redness at the chest and coming up into the face, right? Bright red, whatever. Others see the bright redness, you feel the heat. Mm-hmm. Bod- that's bodily sensation. Or... Or uh, you feel kind of a drop-down sensation at your chest, mm-hmm. and, and that's for sadness or disappointment. Or uh, closed fists and tight jaw and, and heat at the back of the neck or arms for anger, mm-hmm. 
right? But the thing is, it's unique to every one of us. So I'm just giving suggestions of what it could be. Um, but what dawned on me is that it's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. I believe we do. Because it, it, it's an experience of aliveness mm-hmm. to be able to experience both pleasant and unpleasant feelings. But it's the bodily sensation that we don't want to experience that makes it so uncomfortable. And that's why we back away from unpleasant feelings. That's so interesting. So just to, if I'm, if I'm getting this right, it's not necessarily the feelings. It's that feeling of discomfort, the physical feeling of discomfort. The physical, the physical sensation that lets you know what you're feeling emotionally is the very thing we want to avoid. And that's why people back away from unpleasant feelings. Wow. So really what would serve everyone, I'm thinking, is to identify what are the feelings that they feel, the physical feelings they feel in each of these emotions so yes. that it's not so unfamiliar. Correct. Okay. Yes. In fact, in fact, there's a, a chart, uh, what I call an how, what, where exercise in the book that I walk people through so that literally you can sit down, kind of close your eyes and walk yourself through each of the eight emotional feelings so that you can find your own bodily sensations that kind of correlate with those feeling words. Wonderful. And, and, and so the other part of it then is that I want people to be able to ride the bodily sensation waves with an understanding from Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor that each feeling wave, and we're talking not about one wave, mm-hmm. we're talking about one or more waves, mm-hmm. Uh, bodily sensation waves that that what you need to move through is one or more bodily sensation, not one or more 90 second, up to 90 second bodily sensation waves that let you know what you're feeling emotionally. Now, what and, what happens within those 90 seconds? Why is it 90 it, seconds? It's 90 seconds. What, what ends up happening is that when a feeling gets triggered, then it that feeling uh, creates kind of a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream. And uh, those biochemicals actually activate the bodily sensation. So if we go back to embarrassment, mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that intense rush of biochemicals in the bloodstream that creates the heat and the redness, mm-hmm. right? And for embarrassment. And, and they tend to dissipate or flush out of the bloodstream in kind of an upper range of about 90 seconds. So if you know that any given feeling is short-lived, then all you got to do is ride one or more 90-second waves of those bodily sensations. And p- most people go, well, I can do 90 seconds. It's like, yes, you can. And now you can stay present to what's really going on. And what keeps it going for longer than 90 seconds? Is it because we're not aware, we're not acknowledging it? Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, that's a great question. Because uh, I, I, I that's the, kind of the next most obvious. It's like, yeah, but my feelings have lasted for years. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, your feelings haven't lasted for years. Your memories have lasted mm-hmm. for years. But what ends up happening is that every time you recall a given thought or anytime you recall a given memory, that memory is going to pull everything that's associated with it, including the feelings you had at the time. So you reactivate an, uh, you, uh, an approximate firing off of the same sensation. So then it, then it feels like it's just lasted for a very long time. Right. So now what would you say to somebody who says, well, you know, I, I've been, I already did this work to heal. And I feel like if I give in to this, like there's some uh, 
look viewing as giving into it or indulging in this. I'm sitting back in it and I'm trying to move forward. Uh, a couple of different things. Um, well, the one is, uh, let me go one other thing and then I'm going to turn right around and answer your question. Another thing that keeps feeling, feeling seeming like they're lingering is when we actually try not to experience them. Mm. So if we, if we go, well, I'm not going to think about that. It's like, good luck with that. Mm. You have to think about the thing in order to not do that. So if I told you not to think of a zebra with yellow and black stripes. That's all I'm looking at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? You can't, you can't, so you can't mm-hmm. do it. So, so what they call thought suppression also keeps feelings kind of lingering. But in, in answer to your question, uh, in terms of if I bring that up and I'm starting to think about it again and I'm, I'm afraid of indulging myself, I would say, I would say anytime you start to think about that kind of stuff, it's in an effort to get some resolve to it. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that, especially in light of this idea of betrayal in a particular way, because with betray- what, what we eventually come down to is realizing that we cannot undo what was done and we cannot do what was undone, mm-hmm. right? So in situations, we can't undo the knowledge about the betrayal. We can't undo the effects of the betrayal. And, and many times what ends up happening is that we're left with feelings of helplessness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's hard. That's really, really hard. And then all the sadness and everything else that comes with it. But that if we, if we don't stop and, and, again, I think we come back to trying to think about it, uh, this, this indulging that you're talking about, is my goal would be take some time then to excuse me, try to make sense of what's taken place. Mm -hmm. Now, same thing. Many times we cannot make sense of something that is senseless, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So just know you can't always, in quotes, make sense of that. But what you can make sense of is the meaning and the impact that it's had on your life. Beautiful. And, and, you know, I can't help but think that that brings up an element of grieving, Yes. And I know uh, you've done two uh, TED, uh, TED Talks, TEDx's, and I know one of them was about that. Can you just just briefly talk a little bit about the, the grieving process as it relates to maybe the loss of what you expected, the loss of a relationship, the loss, just loss? Yeah. Well, I, I talk about the, the TED Talk that I, I did. It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of nuanced. It's um, it's what I call disguised grief. So if you're a person that is describing that you're still bitter or you hold grudges or you're resentful or you want to get revenge or uh, you're cynical or I, every bit of that I think of as disguised grief. Mm. And in the book I talk about probably 14 or 15 different uh, grief, what I call grief signal words. <clears throat> that underneath those words is, is actually the grief. And, and another way to look at it, so also disguised grief, is, is grieving over what we got and didn't deserve. Uh, we got the betrayal. We didn't deserve that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be stuff that goes back to earlier childhood. Um, <clears throat> or, or there were betrayals in early childhood. So we got, we got what we didn't deserve. Or grieving over what we deserved and didn't get. Mm-hmm. That's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, or grieving over what never was, grieving over what is not now, a life you imagined, right? 
and grieving over what may never be. So, so it's it, all of that. It, it certainly ties in directly to betrayal. Absolutely, and and I recommend everybody uh, watch that TED talk. There was something else I noticed about the book, Doctor Joan. Please, you, uh, I listened to every single word, and you used the word "but" one time. <laughs> Is that right? Really? <laughs> was that <laughs> intentional? Yes. <laughs> really, just once. Re- one time at the very end. And it made me so aware of my language because I say but all the time. Uh-huh. Can you and just... Now I, yeah, <laughs> that's too funny. <laughs> I, who knows what people will notice from the book. The, uh, no, yes, it was very intentional. Um, buts often negate what's what follows so i do my best to not use the word bud um and it's the the goal that i want and i said this at some point in the book that we don't live in an either or world we live in a both and world Mm -hmm. so when i was writing i was also paying attention to making sure that i was using ands as opposed to using You did a great job of it because it (laughs) became so obvious that I was listening for it. I was like, (laughs) and not a one, except at the very, very end. And I, I just had to, I just had to ask because it was, it wasn't a short read. And here it was, an entire book with not one but except at the very end. So kudos (laughs) for that one. (laughs) Oh, wow. I have to go back and read the doggone You do. Well, you don't have to. I'm telling you right there, there's only one but in the very end. And uh, so what do you want to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up? I want to make sure that that everyone knows that if you can experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings, not only do they form the basis of confidence, but they they really allow you to have a sense of liberating your world and you being able to have a greater sense of choice and an ability to um, experience life with a far greater sense of aliveness. Oh, that's wonderful. And where do we learn more about you? Where can we find the book? Uh, You can find the book uh, if bricks and mortar, if you're in the Southeast, it might be books a million. It might be actually a number of, of uh, smaller bookstores are carrying it. I'm, I'm told, uh, (laughs) and, uh, online. uh, So Barnes and Noble, uh, clearly books a million, uh, online anywhere, pretty much, and wherever your favorite place to shop is. And then you can go to drjoanrosenberg.com, and that's Rosenberg spelled with a B-E-R-G. And uh, I'm on social media. Everywhere social media is pretty much Dr. Joan Rosenberg. And there's two TED Talks. There's I'm writing for Psychology Today, so I can be found kind of in lots of places. Everywhere. And we are so glad that you are. Dr. Rosenberg, it, it has been such an amazing pleasure. And I'll tell you, everybody, this is not one of those books that it's like, oh, maybe I'll get to it. No, no, no. This needs to be on your bookshelf, in your library. It's an important read. And and I know I know it took you years to, to 
put this together just to get all of the research and all the the, the case studies and all of it together. And I'm so glad you did. It, it was it's it's a game changer. And you certainly helped me in my life. And I'm sure everybody listening is getting just so much out of this. So thank you so much. I love how practical Dr. Jones' ideas are and how if we're just willing to tolerate those physical feelings that are associated with those unpleasant emotions, they'll move through us and pass. Kind of reminds me of when I was pregnant and having contractions. As they begin, you know it's only a short amount of time until they peak, then pass. Not exactly the same thing, but similar. If you're willing to ride that uncomfortable wave, it'll pass too. And on the other side of that is healing. Stay in touch with Dr. Joan by heading over to drjoanrosenberg.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Negative emotions follow us like a shadow until and unless we're willing to tolerate that negative emotion long enough for it to pass. We give it way too much power when we try not to think about it or we try to ignore it. It's worth giving it the 90 seconds it needs so we move through it, make sense and meaning out of it. And Dr. Jones' book shows us exactly how to do that. So be sure to grab your copy. And when those emotions are lingering for too long, they can turn into physical, mental, and emotional symptoms. Take the quiz to see what symptoms are lingering. Just go to pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. Breakthrough.